If you've been here over the past few weeks, you've heard me say this, that when people ask me, like, who is Jesus? What's his story? What, what, what's he about? I'll, I'll say, well, go to the Gospel of Mark. Read the Gospel of Mark. It's relatively short. Again, it doesn't have the birth narrative. It doesn't have much after the resurrection. It's short. It sort of gives you, gives you the story of his, of his life, some of his teachings, his death, and his resurrection. And then if you want to know more about what he taught, then go to the Sermon on the Mount, which is in Matthew, and it begins in Matthew chapter 5, and it begins with the Beatitudes, which we've sung already, and we and Jennifer just read the Beatitudes, and it ends in chapter 8 with that very famous teaching about the person who builds their house on the rock, not on the sand, and how, you know, the person who, who follows Jesus' teachings is the one who builds their house on the rock, that when, when the storms come and the rains come, the house is able to stand. And so it's an interesting sort of bookends to this very famous collection of, that Matthew has, has brought together, we think, because we don't, we, don't, we don't think that Jesus just taught this all the way through like this to his disciples. We think that these are all uh, teachings that just go together. It's the longest collection of of teachings, not parables, in the scripture that just sort of run like this. And so it's a very, very helpful sort of thing. And that's why we've been walking through it is because I, I wanted you to hear some of the most difficult and perplexing teachings of Jesus are in the Sermon on the Mount. They're still difficult and perplexing to us today. And so this one may be that as well. So listen to the word of the Lord. Jesus said this, You have heard it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist an evildoer. But if anyone strikes you on the right cheek, turn the other also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your coat, give your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go also the second mile. Give to everyone who begs from you and do not refuse anyone who wants to borrow from you. That's the word of the Lord. An eye for an eye makes all people blind. It's a very famous quote from Gandhi. An eye for an eye makes all people blind. And I think that's how we often think about this, like this this idea, and this is the basis for what is called, and I'm going to try to pronounce it correctly, lex talionis, which is the law of equivalent retribution. The law of equivalent retribution. Like I was trying to tell the kids, like, you know, we, we, want to, we, often, we want to do back to somebody what they did to us, but really what we really want to do is we want to do more. <laughs> we, want to do, we want to add 20% to that or 100% to that. And really, the interesting thing about the teaching about an eye for an eye, which is biblical, which is in the Old Testament, and I've been reading through the Old Testament again, and this has come up, is that an eye for an eye was actually a progress the law of equivalent retribution in the Old Testament was progress in ancient times. Because oftentimes, if somebody did something to you, you it was in an honor-shame culture, which is what most cultures were at that time, in an honor, you were shamed, and you had to reclaim your honor. And the way you reclaimed your honor was you needed to shame them even worse or, or, or commit, you know, do something even more horrible to them. In, in the Old Testament, you'll, you'll see this over and again where something happens to somebody or to the tribe and then they go and they basically wipe out everybody. 
because they feel like that is what, that is what they're supposed to do. Sometimes even God says, go wipe all of them out. It's, an, it's, it's a very interesting and difficult for us to understand, but, but that's how it was. In one story in the Old Testament, one of the daughters of the family is, is, is sexually assaulted. And the brothers go and basically kill the whole family of the person who, who did that. That was their retribution. Now, the father was not happy about this in this story. That's the interesting part of it. But this, they felt like that was what needed to happen. So an eye for an eye was a step forward. But then Jesus comes and says, you've heard it said an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, don't resist an evildoer. There's lots of controversy about the evildoer part of this scripture because the, the Greek is, is difficult to translate. It could be don't resist evil, don't resist an evil act, don't resist an evil person. It's, it's, it's really complicated. So you can sort of think in all those terms, the evil, evil act, evil person. But if anyone strikes you on the right cheek, turn the other also. You've heard this before, right? Turn the other cheek. Unfortunately, in some uses of this scripture in certain communities, it was basically for folks who were being abused, they were supposed to turn the other cheek. That's what they got told. That's not what this is for. That's not what the teaching is here. Let's, just, let's, let's be clear about that. Jesus never is going to advocate for the abuse or the manipulation or the hurting of somebody who is oppressed or who, or who is being abused or who is being manipulated. Jesus is never going to advocate for them to discontinue in that situation. Okay, so let's so this turn the other cheek thing. If you've ever been in a situation where somebody's like, well, you know, especially in, like in, in a time of abuse, like, well, you know, that person's supposed to turn the other cheek. No, 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 no. I don't think we would use that today, but there still are some communities that un- understand the Bible a certain way that might use it that way. So I just wanted to sort of put that out there just to be clear about that. What's so interesting about this is, is that it's, it's so contrary to the way we think about things, isn't it? I mean, just like the kids, it's just our natural physical want. And when somebody does something to us, we, we're ready to go. We're ready to, you know, it's either, you know, fight or flight, but generally it's, if somebody pushes us, we're, we're going to push back and we're going to push back hard. You come at me, I'm coming at you. And so Jesus here is, it takes this and he, just, and he just turns all that on its head. And it's just, it's, it's fascinating. And so I'm going I'm to go into some teachings about this. And mostly what I'm trying to do today is to get you to understand that so much of the time when Jesus is teaching, he, it's almost like a, a, a Zen Buddhist koan. Do you know what, that, uh, what a koan is? Like, have you ever heard the, the question, like, what is the sound of one hand clapping? Like, you're not supposed to figure out the answer. It's supposed to make you think differently. It's supposed to open you up to being able to understand and to see the world from a different perspective so that we might let go of all the things that we think we know to perhaps be opened up, as I would say it in the Christian context, be opened up to God's grace to be formed into disciples in a different way, to let go of the ways of the world and to begin to, to grasp onto the ethics and the teachings of the kingdom. And so if you leave here, again, like I've been saying, if you leave here a little bit confused today, that's great. That means God's at work in your life. That means you're open to something new. 
And so I want you to, I want you to listen to that. So one, one of the ways about thinking about this that people have sort of said is that if anyone strikes you on the right cheek, turn the other also. So Noah, would you... He didn't know I was going to do this. So, so which is your right cheek? Okay, so if, if I'm right-handed, how am I going to strike you on the right cheek? With the back of my hand. Right? In ancient times, you can go sit down. In ancient times, I mean, being slapped in the face was enough, but if somebody slapped you with the back of your hand, it was an insult, a greater insult. So and normally that would be, again, if you were going to retribute, if you were going to come back, if it was an eye for an eye, then you're going to need to come back at them something. But then it says, go ahead and turn the other cheek also. So now the person's here, but then now they've got to hit you this way. And in a sense, I think what's, what some people have taught is that what you're doing is, one, you're trusting God to if, if there needs to be retribution, that God will, will retribute. But you're also, in some ways, shaming the person who just insulted you. Because you're like, okay, well, you're going to insult me? Go ahead, do your best. Go right ahead. Do it again. Because you can't touch me. Because I'm safe and secure in, in God's grace. I, I, don't, I don't need to come back at you. My, my honor in an honor-shame culture. My honor is found in God. I have received the mercy of God. I have received the grace of God. I don't need to retaliate in this situation. It's a fascinating bit of teaching. If anyone wants to take, uh, sue you and take your coat, give your cloak as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go also the second mile. I'm going to go to this, this next one. Forces you to go to one mile, go the second mile. In this day and time, the Roman or the Persian armies or, or soldiers at any time, if they're walking along or they're marching or whatever, they could conscript anyone to carry their gear for them. And so it seems like maybe it was you know, a mile or some form of of distance that they could constrict you for. And so Jesus is saying, oh, well, just, just because this is ridiculous that they're able to do this, but you know, we're, we're going we're gonna to sort of show them, just go the second mile. It's almost like, again, sort of trying to almost shame people into going, this is, this is ridiculous. I can carry, I should be able to carry my own stuff. Why do I need to constrict this person to do this for me? Just because I have power. Just because I'm able to, why, why should I do this? I mean, some of us have talked about, you know, we've used this in a, in a different way of teaching, right? I mean, we don't talk about it as someone forces us to do things. We're, all, we're often thinking, well, go that second mile anyway. Do your best. Work hard. You know, take, take this further than you might have. Don't, don't just do the minimum, do the maximum. I kind of like that part of the teaching, but this is really focused on if someone forces you to do this. Again, this is an abuse of power. So just go ahead and go on because it's going to shame them. Maybe it will expose how power corrupts here. Some have taught that this whole section might be really focused on the poor. People without power. And about, think about the ridiculousness of this. If someone wants to sue you and take your coat, give your cloak as well. What if that person only has a coat and a cloak? 
Boy, that seems pretty harsh, doesn't it? I mean, even some of the most recalcitrant people to take everything that somebody has would feel shameful. And in an honor-shame culture, that might get their attention. Give to everyone who begs from you. Do not refuse anyone who wants to borrow from you. Again, it's this, it's this turning things upside down, making us think differently. The message translation talks about that and says basically, quit this tit-for-tat stuff. Live generously. Live generously. Now, again, going along with Gandhi and, you know, and that whole thing, an eye for an eye makes, would make all people blind... If we give to everyone who begs from us and don't refuse anyone who wants to borrow from us, more than likely, we probably all end up on the street at some point, right? So mostly what I want you to to meditate on that about is, well, what does this mean for me? Where, where, where Where is it that I'm living ungenerously? Where is it that I'm holding on to the gifts of God and not, and not freely giving of myself or, or giving of my resources in order to help other people? Because that's part of it is, is kingdom-minded people, disciples of Jesus, are, are called to live differently. We're called to live differently. The kingdom of God perspectives are alien to that of the perspectives of the world. Now, for some of these things, I'm not really sure how they would work out, say, in, in the rule of law, right? If we tried to form our, the law of, of our country around this teaching, who knows how that would work out? I'm not saying that we should. I'm just saying I think that, just like that Zen koan, like, to, to begin to meditate on this and let it open you up to see where, where are the ungraceful places in your life that maybe God hasn't, hasn't touched. Where, where is it? To let, let this turn things inside out and upside down. Kingdom of God ethics, one writer says, demands not mechanical compliance to rules, but a lifestyle governed by the grace of God. Why? In Romans 12, it says that vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Later on in Romans 12, it says, do not return evil for evil, but overcome evil with good. Right? We often talk about fighting fire with fire. Jesus says, fight fire with water. Fight fire with water. Overcome evil with good. Jesus means to throw us off balance here. It is meant for us to be confused. It is meant for us to be opened up because when we stop, and like I said earlier, when we get in the present and we begin to have a chance to allow God's spirit to begin speaking to us in a new way, a way that we don't know, we have the opportunity to be opened up and to let the Spirit fill us again, to be formed into disciples who follow Jesus, who follow the kingdom of God ethics and ways of being, who, who become more and more like that because God, Jesus is, not, Jesus is not trying to teach us how to live your best life now here. You know, this isn't about getting more of something or, or another. This is about living in the kingdom of God to be a different kind of people. 
And when, and when we do that, when we get broken open, we, we find ourselves face to face with the generous and free grace of God where we can be formed into disciples of Christ and not disciples of culture. We are called to follow Jesus, to follow these kingdom ethics, not a political party or a candidate or some other party or some other ideology. We are called to follow the one who gave his life that we might fully know grace and know a new life. And sometimes that new life is going to be a little bit disorienting. When you were first born, you couldn't feed yourself. You couldn't walk. You couldn't talk, right? It was a little bit disorienting, I'm guessing, for us coming out of the womb. When we come into this new life and we really dig in and we listen for what Jesus is saying, it's going to disorient us. But we're being reoriented all the time as we experience the grace of God and we really let it fill us and we let it move us from this tit-for-tat world into a world where we can live and give and receive gracefully and generously in all ways and places. So I don't know what that means for you today. I don't know what this, I don't know what this word might be stirring up in you right now. But like I said, I'm, I wanted to leave you confused. I want to leave you a little bit disturbed because I believe that it allows Jesus and his spirit to come into your life in a powerful way. So may you remain open to the teachings of God as confusing as they might be, as troubling as they might be, for they speak of the kingdom of God. They speak of our Savior. May you be blessed by these words. Amen.